This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I am Jason Kong. I have the pleasure, as always, of being here with the fine women from Transitions Life Care. We've got Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson. Ladies, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Oh, we can do better than that. Good afternoon. Yeah, I feel like one of those cheesy PE teachers or something. (laughs) We can do better than that. Uh, but Mary, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm now I switched from hurricanes to NC State baseball, which is oh, so yeah. exciting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. bummer. I was following ECU baseball. Oh, so wah, wah. Hey. But, you know, I can support <laughs> NC State. You know, I can I can follow that. I can get down with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, still very exciting for both schools. It's a tremendous accomplishment just to be in the College World Series. So that has certainly been fun uh, for for the sports fans in the Triangle. Well, let's get down to business here. We are uh, recognizing. Pride Month, and we're going to be having a conversation about patient challenges when it comes to the LGBTQIA area. And to have a thorough discussion on that, we are very pleased to welcome Betsy Barton. Betsy is the Hospice and Palliative Care Educator at Transitions Life Care. Betsy, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure thing. It's great to be here. Pride Month is one of my favorites, very near and dear to me, and I'm so excited for today's episode. And as you all know, Sam and I work at Transitions Life Care, and we are so proud to work for an organization that celebrates diversity and is very committed to providing exceptional care experience to everyone and treating everyone with respect and getting to know our patients and families as individuals really helps us provide that best care possible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So as Jason mentioned, we have a super special guest, uh, especially to Mary and myself, yeah. uh, Betsy Barton. She works with us in our education department at Transitions, but she also has been a caregiver and is going to share some of her experiences and lessons that she's learned with us today. Welcome, Betsy. Thank you so much. Yeah, Betsy, would you like to go ahead and give our listeners an uh, an introduction to yourself, what you do and how long you've been at Transitions and and start us off with your experience as a caregiver? Sure. Yeah, I've been at Transitions coming up on five years now as an educator. And, um, you know, I found it's really the perfect job for me, all the things that I've done and all the experiences that I've had in in my life, I, I get to bring to this job and, mm-hmm. um, you know, pop that out into the world and toss out seeds of um, hopefully growth and learning for everybody so that they can learn from the, the hard things that I experienced. Because I grew up with a dad who was basically dying of dementia for my whole childhood. He was diagnosed when I was about uh, five or six mm-hmm. and died when I was 19. And then, um, you know, because of that, I grew up with a mom who was very clear about her end-of-life wishes, mm-hmm. um, especially because Karen Ann Quinlan, for our listeners who have heard of her case, that was unfolding literally in a county just a couple of counties over from mine. Um, so I grew up with a mom who said, you know what's happening to her? I don't want that to happen mm-hmm. to me. Um, you know, and then I also lost several siblings to fatal neurological diseases. And then in addition, was a caregiver to a, a long-term partner who'd been in a very serious car accident. So um, I have a lot of, not only do I have that perspective of a public health educator from the uh, 
the clinician or provider side, but I also have that view from the other side of the bed also. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Can you, you've been a caregiver your whole life, essentially, then in some way or another, or you're experiencing it or even supporting caregivers mm-hmm. with your mother. Can you talk us through your journey and some of the challenges you have faced? Mm. Yeah, let's see, boy. <laughs> where to start? <laughs> I have to figure out where to start. You know, I think, um, you know, some of what, well, first let me just say that I am an out lesbian, so, you know, you all invited me to the show because of that experience mm-hmm. uh, that I have. So, you know, I'm talking about my own personal experience here. You know, I, I came out when I was 19. I'm very lucky that I had a mom who wanted to, finally came out to her with much trepidation. She said, what do you think I am, stupid? (laughs) (laughs) She literally said that. So, so, you know, when I think about my journey as a caregiver in all these different situations, I think about two things, really. One, where my identity didn't matter at all, and I was really lucky, and then sometimes where it did make a difference and I bumped up against it. Um, so, for instance, when my partner was in the ICU at UNC, I was actually out of the country and got a phone call saying, there's been a terrible accident, you need to come home. You know, when I talked to the nurse from Okinawa, Japan, she mm-hmm. didn't say, you know, who are you, why are you asking me these questions? Mm-hmm. She just jumped right in and said, she's going to be fine, just get on the plane and come home. She'll be alive when you get here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were other times during that hospitalization where I was challenged by the doctor of um, one of the doctors uh, who wouldn't give me information because we didn't have a legal relationship. And that's one of the things that I want our listeners to think about when they are interacting with the LGBTQ community that life now is really different than it was 20 years ago or 40 years ago or 60 years ago. And a lot of times when we're taking care of LGBTQ elders, we look at it through the lens of today's life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet it's really, you know, we think about, oh, you know, LGBTQ folks can get married just like anybody else. And, uh, you know, there's so much openness. Um, But that was not the case. 20 years ago, mm-hmm. I was confronted by this doc who said, well, you know, I had a, treated a guy with AIDS once and his partner was really, a, you know, kind of crazy. Um, you know, you, you wouldn't get that today. Right. But when you're working with folks who are LGBTQ, you're working with folks who have had that happen to them mm-hmm. and come with some, you know, distrust of the system or some caution for sure. Like, am I going to be okay here? Can I, can I say who I am? Absolutely. Um, it sounds like there was almost a whole generation of silenced um, caregivers and mm-hmm. patients who weren't able to share who they really were. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And a lot of times, um, a lot of the challenges are kind of hidden because mm-hmm. the population is hidden and the issues are hidden. So, um, you know, for instance, um, I'm a mom. And I've adopted my child three times, but yet she is not still not my legal child mm. because the laws have changed. You know, and I put that in because, you know, a par- parenting is a caregiving relationship too, right? It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> even, though, even though fortunately it doesn't, uh, 
in the same way as a hospice caregiving relationship does. Mm -hmm. Uh, At least we hope not, right? But, um, you know, there's just little things like when um, most lesbians, well, all lesbians are women, and women in this country don't have the same, they don't get paid at the same rate that men do. They end up on Medicare when older at a much higher rate than men do. Um, and, you know, if they say they've been in a long-term relationship, there's not that gar- those guarantees that we count on about alimony or child support. or So the financial parts, you know, can really be a huge hit. I, I heard a story of somebody who was in a long-term partnership in a, you know, a really nice um, continuous care facility mm-hmm. here in the Triangle. And, you know, when when they were very much older, you know, like above 80 years old or mm-hmm. something like that, the relationship ended and we don't, you know, I don't exactly know why, but, you know, one of them just ended up kind of in a very different situation because they didn't have those safety net uh, protections that straight people kind of count on. Right, right. I, I would love to talk on some more about this and some of the supports that you had mm-hmm. and um, and where you found support and where you didn't. And also want to talk through some of the legal challenges uh, when we come back from the break as well. We are speaking with Betsy Barton. She is the hospice and palliative care educator at Transitions Life Care. And we will continue our conversation uh, centering around LGBTQIA patient challenges for uh, well patients and for caregivers as well as we're celebrating Pride Month here. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson. Don't forget, if you ever want to find more information about Transitions Life Care, the place to do it is transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. We are talking all about Pride Month and patient challenges for those in the LGBTQ community, and we're having a discussion with Betsy Barton. She is the hospice and palliative care educator at Transitions Life Care. And uh, ladies, we were just having discussion before the break about Betsy's story. And, you know, with that come some uh, some challenges that we don't often think about for the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Where we left off, um, Betsy, we kind of wanted to get in and talk a little bit about some of the legal challenges that you faced uh, during your caregiver journey. Can you share with us some of those that you saw? Um, you know, I think some of it is just assumptions that we have about access to, you know, access to the kind of the system. Um, you know, for instance, uh, this isn't actually related to hospice and care, palliative care either, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, when I traveled internationally with my daughter because um, we adopted her actually three different times, but only one of those 
got to legally include me, but then the North Carolina law changed where then they rescinded second parent, same gender adoption. So when I traveled out of the country, I had to have a copy of a birth certificate and a letter in case, Mm -hmm. you know, I was accused of child trafficking or something like that, you know. And it actually was really difficult to just get that letter because when I went to Raleigh, um, they wouldn't give me the birth certificate. Mm. They had to mail it to my partner, which makes no sense. They had to mail it to my house, but they wouldn't give it to (laughs) me when I made a four-hour, you know, took off time from a new job. You know, and then that caused my boss, my new boss, to be uh, suspicious of me and thinking that I was, you know, pulling the wool over his eyes kind of stuff. So, you know, when we think about this in a health situation, um, some legalities can lead to, say, if somebody is incapacitated mm-hmm. and they're in a long-term partnership for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, uh, and the biological family of the person who's ill doesn't like the relationship, they can often just swoop in and say, you know, nothing you say matters. Mm-hmm. We're going to do it. We're going to do it our way. Wow, that's and so difficult. So it's, yeah, so it's so important, especially for folks in the LGBTQ community to have advanced directives. Right. Because that's where we get to say, you know, this is what I want my care to look like. This is what my quality of life is. This is what's mattered to me and to my family and to my partner. Or, you know, it's a little easier now that gay marriage is legal. Mm-hmm. But... For some of our older folks, um, you know, some have taken advantage of that and some haven't. Um, so an advanced directive is really important. And a lot of people think you need to have a lawyer to do that and you need to spend money. No, you don't need to. <laughs> you can do this for free. Actually, folks can access the Five Wishes form for free on the website that Jason was talking about at transitionslifecare.org. You go to resources, you go to advanced directives, and... Anybody can download the Five Wishes form mm-hmm. and complete it online for free. So I'm hearing uh, a big theme I'm hearing here is about assumptions, about identity and family structure and how clinicians and just the general public may discriminate against people in end-of-life care or in everyday life and make assumptions about their identity and family structure and how that affects the caregiver, the family, the patient. It is, it is critical. Yeah, and a lot of times a clinician or, you know, not even just a clinician, anybody who's public-facing can create ease by doing some really simple things. So say you walk into the doctor's office and, um, you know, there's a woman there and there's a a guy about her age. You know, that provider can say, instead of saying, hey, is this your husband? Uh, Say, tell me who's in the room. You know, what name would you like me to use when I talk to you? Uh, what gender pronouns do you use? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, now, some people might think, what, what, what the heck are you asking me that for? <laughs> but the folks to whom it really matters are going to go, wow, you know, they care about me. Because when we just say, when we make an assumption like you were talking about, that, oh, this must be the husband, we're making the patient start on the defensive right away or the client, or the person, (laughs) instead of, you know, then they have to say, well, actually, no, that's not my husband, that's my brother, you know, my wife is at work and couldn't come to this appointment, or something like that. Instead, we just get them, we create a space for them to be just a person who has a concern. 
Absolutely. Um, I want to go back a little bit and talk about the support that you had on your journey and as a caregiver uh, and also where you didn't find support. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like when I think about, you know, it was a little bit easier when it was my mom because, you know, I'm the child. And so my being a lesbian didn't really matter in that context. Um, but, for instance, when it was my then partner who was in the ICU and had an extended illness, uh, there was a rabbi, because my partner was identified as Jewish, um, you know, who said, Betsy, you know, you just get to be the partner. You don't have to be the nurse, too. So there was, like, this acknowledgement just this ease, you know, this was 20 years ago, you know, an ease of uh, accepting our relationship, acknowledging it, and giving me the support that I needed at that moment. Or, for instance, um, the infectious disease doc, who was this wonderful doctor, uh, Charlie Vanderhorst over at UNC, you know, when there was a worrisome situation, he just was with me Again, he was with me as I needed a doctor to be with me as a loving family member. You know, I said, I'm really worried. And and he said, you know, I'm worried too because this is a scary situation and we don't know what's going to happen. So he was so present with me and that was such a gift. Um, And part of that presence was knowing exactly who was in the bed exactly who who I was worried about. Mm. Uh, he, there wasn't any sort of downplaying of like, oh, your friend is going to be okay, you know, mm. or an assumption, any other assumptions. He was just right there with me. Um, so a lot of those things are, they're hard to put your finger on, mm-hmm. you know. You might think, well, what does it matter if somebody says friend instead of partner? Um, but, you know, that matters because your friend is someone you might have, you know, met a couple of years ago and your partner is someone who's your everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't do that to married people. We don't diminish their relationship by calling them friend. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and even, if I'm, even as I'm talking, I'm so aware that, you know, I'm on the 60 years old end of things. Things are so different for someone in our community who's 20. Right. Uh, You know, sometimes they're different, sometimes they're not. You know, we still have a situation where transgender people, especially people of color, are killed in this country at a much higher rate, um, you know, who are targeted or who, when they go into a healthcare situation, um, encounter a lot of negative attitudes you know, open hostility or prejudice or just ignorance. And so, you know, my request here is for anybody who's listening to this, like, do your work. Figure out what it is that you need to do to be, to create a welcoming environment, Mm -hmm. whether it's someone as a provider or even just someone as a friend, you know. There's there's so many resources online for uh, how to be a good ally. Absolutely. And I, and I want to shift to that in our next mm-hmm. segment as well. And um, I just can't imagine being 
in the shoes of somebody going through this as a caregiver or as a patient and having um, to face those challenges and with the lack of support. So I, I look forward to talking a little bit more in the next segment about how we can be better allies. It's a challenge, but even just going through that thought exercise of putting yourself in someone else's shoes really does go a long way. We're speaking with Betsy Barton, the hospice and palliative care educator at Transitions Life Care, and we're going to continue our discussion with her right after this. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life. Your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, and we're welcoming another friend from Transitions Life Care, and that is Betsy Barton, the hospice and palliative care educator at Transitions Life Care. As we continue our conversation with her, don't forget there are plenty of resources available to you at Transitions Life Care. Dot org, transitionslifecare.org. And we're speaking with Betsy. It is Pride Month, and we're talking about challenges that encompass the LGBTQ uh, community when it comes to receiving care and also for caregivers. And uh, I think we're going to take a turn now and, and go over just some uh, educational items when it comes yes. to things that we can keep in mind. So like Jason mentioned, we kind of want to shift the conversation to some lessons learned and how we as a community can better be better allies and support our LGBT community. So we acknowledge that this is a lot, but we also have a lot to learn. It's time to call people in, not out, and being fully transparent is really important in learning how to support each other. Mm-hmm. So I would really like to start off with some terminology. Uh, right. The words that we use we know have a huge impact and lgbtq is something that's used often and we've actually used it a lot throughout the show as you've noticed so betsy can you talk us through what this is an abbreviation for just to start out with sure you know and it's funny as someone who's 60 i've seen the transition of this whole, <laughs> this whole set of terms so yes. uh, you know in the olden days when i first came out it was just lgb that's it mm-hmm. <laughs> um so as we grow as a world and as a as a community and as a and as a set of allies, we grow the terms too. So lesbian, L, the L is for lesbian. That's someone who has primary social and affectionate and sexual connections with other women. Gay is usually often refers to men, but also can sometimes be an umbrella term for both lesbians and gays. So. You know, there's, um, we could say this is confusing, but we could also just say, how curious, this is fascinating. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm not going to go into, you know, I could probably talk for a half an hour about each one of these letters, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to, I'll spare you all that. So B is for bisexual, someone who, um, whose affection and preferences can go either way or orientation. Um, And the T is for transgender, so that's somebody who was, um, 
born into a body that is one gender and realizes later in life or at some point that they really identify as a different gender. Um, and then now we're also realizing that gender is so much on a, on a spectrum. So there are lots of folks who identify as non-binary, meaning, you know, I, I really don't feel like male or female. I'm kind of, I'm just me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Q is so often, sometimes it's used for as an abbreviation for the word queer, which is another umbrella term, kind of a bigger umbrella, though, than the gay term. Mm-hmm. Uh, queer could be anybody who is anything other than a heterosexual person who feels like they identify with the body in which to, they were born. So queer is kind of a, a really big umbrella for anybody who's different than the, quote, norm. Um, and then it can also be uh, the Q can stand for questioning. It's like, mm, I'm not really sure yet. I'm still figuring all this stuff out. Mm-hmm. And then when we often will add the plus, that just kind of means, and everything else as it unfolds, <laughs> as we figure these things out, as people create these new categories. Mm-hmm. You know, and they really, they're not really new categories. They're just new names. We've, we as a human species have been all these things for all of our lives. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, for, for, I mean, for eons, for all of our human existence. It's just that, you know, to me, the problem is we have to name things. You know, we feel like we have to name things. Mm-hmm. But really, if we look back at history, um, indigenous cultures have folks that are, say, two-spirit. There's a name for that, two-spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone who doesn't, identify as male or female and in, in a lot of cultures that's like a a holy category of people like mm-hmm. folks will in native american cultures right here in north carolina will call in a two-spirit person to bless a new baby wow you know to wish it a good life so that's a that's a quick journey through the alphabet. I love that. So I, I think we're hearing a lot. There's a, I hear a lot, identity, orientation, preference, gender, sexual identity, sexual preference, sexual orientation. What's the difference between these and what should we be using when, when describing identities and, um, and orientations? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a great question. And I, I may not be able to do it perfect justice on the fly, but <laughs> I'll give okay. it a shot. You know, when we look at all these terms, it kind of, there's s- several different lenses at which to look pe- look at folks. One is, how are you in relation to the physical body that you were born into? That's one category. Um, another category is sexuality. Who am I attracted to? Who do I want to hang out with for the rest of my life? Or or on this Friday night, you know, mm-hmm. who do I, who am I just naturally attracted to being with? Um, you know, and that can be sexual, it can also be just emotionally. Uh, so there's what your body looks like, there's who you're attracted to, um, and then there's where you are on the gender spectrum. So it's complicated. Because each category, it's not like if you're one thing, then all other things follow. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can have, it's kind of a, I won't even say personal choice, because sometimes it's just who, who we're born to be. But who we're born to be can vary within each of those categories. So, and I'm not going to give a lot of examples because I think it gets really confusing really quickly. Mm-hmm. So I'll keep it simple and just say, within each of those categories, there are many different identities. And it's important to think about, uh, whereas 40 years ago, we used to just say, well, he's a queer. You know, one, it was not said in a loving way. Mm-hmm. And two, there was just this assumption that along with assumptions of mental illness and, um, well, you know, all these other bad things, it was kind of lumping people into one category. And so now it's kind of like we're taking that ball of string and we're pulling out the different strands. So I encourage folks who want to learn more about that to do something like Google uh, the gender unicorn or... um, look at something like the Fenway Community Health Center site um, that can help kind of tease out what are all these different identities and how do I figure out what the heck is going on here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we, we know that this con- can, content can definitely open up some wounds um, or new insights or knowledge and maybe could leave people wanting to know more, like you mentioned, or do more. So what do you do with how you're feeling now? You, I'm sure listening to this episodes or listeners may have a lot of questions. Uh, so, Betsy, where would you direct people for more resources? I know you mentioned a couple like the Fenway Community Health Center. Um, where are some other places you would suggest people go? Okay. Um, and then I want to circle back around to a little bit about terminology, if you'll let me. Um, one great uh, organization is called SAGE. And this used to, in the, in the olden days, be gay and gray. <laughs> but now they've... Uh, They've upped their brand, and so uh, SageUSA, all one word, .org, is a great resource for especially, you know, it's particularly oriented to LGBTQ elders. So there's, there's things in there. If somebody works in a long-term care facility, an assisted living uh, facility or something like that, they can go there and... There's all kinds of resources to download. The Fenway Community Health Center, which their website is ncfh.org. So that's www.ncfh.org. They have lots of basic information about gender and sexuality, and especially, um, I mean, I know people myself in my friendship circle who've gone gone there to try to understand their young people who are dealing with a lot of um, gender issues and things that this was an adult about my age who said, oh, I got some learning to do. I got to catch up. Mm -hmm. I got to catch up with my kid here. (laughs) Um, And that was really helpful to them. Um, There's also some, just here locally, there's great resources in the LGBTQ Center of Durham or the LGBTQ Center of Raleigh. Um, They have different kind of social communication, you know, social programs, taking walks together, um, educational programs, um, that sort of thing. Perfect. And Betsy, we're, we're up against a break here, but I know you wanted to circle back real quick on some terminology. Okay. Just a couple of things. If you, de- if you take nothing else from this show, 
there's a few terms that we just don't use anymore. So, like, to me, if, if I'm talking to a clinician and they talk about, well, homosexuals, blah, 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 I think, oop, red flag. <laughs> they need to do some updating. You know, the better term to use is the LGBTQ community or something like that or gays and lesbians. But when someone says homosexual, um, that's when I know, oh, they got still got some work to do. And, you know, gay as, a sh- as an adjective, like, oh, he is gay, um, that's a great thing to say. That's fine. Um, but we wouldn't say the gays, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound, that, that makes me realize, like, oh, this person, there's some stuff they don't really get yet. Mm-hmm. So that's just a couple things I'll throw out. Well, that's those. Those are uh, that's great advice. And Betsy, we thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story. I think this was incredibly helpful. Uh, again, we've been speaking with Betsy Barton, the hospice and palliative care educator at Transitions Life Care. Betsy, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. Well, we appreciate it, and we hope to have you back on the program. We are taking a quick break, but we'll be back with more. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, both with Transitions Life Care, and we're nothing if not real on this show. Uh, we have caregiving stories, and Mary, uh, for those who've been listening for a while, is going through it firsthand. And uh, Mary, you know, we, we may want to st- step back a bit. We had Peanut Gate a few uh, oh, yeah. a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're, you're taking care of your grandfather. And uh, there there's always seems to be something new. Of course, there's something new. Anyone who's uh, been in a caregiving situation knows that uh, every day is is it's it's a journey in and of itself. Sure so so give us an update, Mary. You, yeah, well, you were going to try and spill the beans during the I break. Tried. But we, we, we said, said no. no. Catch it live. <laughs> That's right. I tried to share this off the air, but here we are. Um, so as you all know, uh, my grandfather. We've been working on getting a new private care duty mm. uh, in place. We we got it. We got it. We figured it out with the help of some of our past guests. We we got him a new nurse. Yay. So very exciting. She had her first week last week, but we hadn't quite figured out her schedule yet. And this is this goes to the point of, that we've talked about so many times about communication, mm-hmm. communication as a caregiver, communication with your family, communication with others, and how important it is. Um, so we got her set up last week. We hadn't really figured out her schedule yet and what days she was coming. So my grandfather thought she was going to come and take him to church on Friday, wheel him down the hallway to church. He needed to go to church. So we thought that that was going to – we we knew that that wasn't what was happening. My grandfather thought for sure that she was coming on Friday to take him to church. She didn't uh, because she wasn't scheduled to be there. Um, he freaked out uh, <laughs> is an understatement. Um, we calmed him down. My aunt and uncle went over there, literally put on his shoes and rolled him down the hallway to church. He got to church. Um, then on Monday, two days ago – 
she called out sick in the morning and the agency called us immediately. First mm -hmm. thing in the morning, they called him immediately, excuse me, and said, she's not able to come. We'll send somebody in her place. And he said immediately, no, two strikes, you're out. <gasps> Jay, not even three. Gosh. <laughs> Little did he know that they didn't have one strike. It was, and there wasn't also, there was no second strike because they were offering to send someone else, but he'd refused. And so here we are. He calls my dad and said that he pretty much, um, that no one showed. And so the understanding that my dad had and then I had was that they no showed. And mm. we were both like, what in the world? Oh goodness, Someone needs yeah. to go over there. So we we called the agency and they said, oh, no, we called him and offered somebody to come. <laughs> he said, two strikes, you're out. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> so long story short, we, we calm him down and um, get it all figured out and – he is very he, – he's just a stubborn 95-year-old mm -hmm. veteran. And and if you mess – he is – if you are he's not on schedule. time, he's got a schedule. And so we had to communicate with the agency, with him. We had to figure out exactly what her schedule was yesterday, send it to him. He has to have it in writing. It has to be next to him on the coffee table. And he said, if she doesn't show up on time, I'm going to call them and find her. <laughs> and I was like, you're going to tick off everybody in the building, including her. And then we're not going to have a nurse for you. There's a nursing shortage. Please be nice to these people. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, it was just, and by the end of the day yesterday, my dad sent me the funniest meme. And it was just <laughs> him curled up in a little blanket around his head. And he was like, oh, no. I, I mean, it was just one of those days as a caregiver that you're like, what are you doing? You cannot too strikes out your nurse yes. it, when it wasn't her fault and it's it was just a huge miscommunication mm. the whole thing was a miscommunication okay. and it just reminded me of the conversations we have about how important it is to communicate and what my grandfather heard and what he told us was two completely different yes. things yes <laughs> <laughs> we've experienced that too and it's it's so good that you bring that up because you know we talk a lot about communicating with other caregivers people you know mm -hmm. working with them but it's really important too if you're able to communicate with the person that you're caregiving for because sometimes some mixed messages can be received. We had to do a lot of that with my grandmother too. You know, we kind of had to sit her down and talk to her. She, for those of you who don't know, she was hospitalized back in November and had to go home with some home health. Um, and we really needed to get someone in the home, a private, more of a private duty aid for her um, to kind of help mm -hmm. her out around, around. But we really had to sit her down and we call her mom, mom, uh, real Southern of us. Um, <laughs> and we had to sit her down and say, now, my mom, this lady coming in to help you out is not your maid. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, she's not your chef. She's here to help you for a few hours during right. the day, but right. you can't be bossing her around. Right. Because she heard she was getting someone to come in the home. She said, oh, well, I got this, 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 and this <laughs> right. for her to do. Right. So, you know, we've worked through that a lot. And actually, you know, just yesterday I was talking to my dad and we lost her original caregiver again how more <gasps> no. southern can we be her name was ethel um, <laughs> she actually went to get a full-time job which you know is great for her but we've been trying to seek a new caregiver for her <sighs> and i know we talked to you on the show about a lot of agencies and resources but sometimes that's not an option for people mm -hmm. my grandmother lives in a very small tiny rural community where mm -hmm. there's not a lot and there's a nursing shortage too that we've been talking about um so we've been talking to her church community if there's anyone at the church who they know that have caregivers that could assist um mm -hmm. we actually lucked out um her hairstylist or hair lady 
um, contacted my dad actually yesterday and said, you know what, I'd like to give this a try if you're willing to. I'd be happy to help her out with some of the things, drive her around, you know, help her with groceries, help her out in the home a bit. Um, And then bonus perk, she does her hair so i mean <laughs> honestly what better situation right. can she'll be have? looking good she'll be all looking the time. sharp um, and helping her out in the home so you know that's something i want to share with people too is kind of try to think outside of the box too i know sometimes right. we can get bogged down and and all the agencies and things that are out there but you know rely on your community too there may be someone you know who's caring for other family members and are happy to do it to help um, it's been a huge blessing to us for her to have those people in her community that she's close with that are that are willing to help so that's yeah, such a good point. it's it's nice when you have people who can step up like that. And sometimes, you know, in that situation, you need to have to make the ask. But even yeah. just asking around like, hey, do you know anyone who could help out? Or yeah. uh, do you know, have family members who are dealing with this? Do you have any recommendations? That's wonderful. And in your case, Mary, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's been a trying week for you. But it's, it's, it's really been more than that because, you know, you had a, a, a nurse that was coming by that had a good relationship with right. your grandfather. And then out of nowhere... Uh, there's a, a change there, so you got to find someone new. And in the meantime, you know, you and your family were, were picking up the slack for the care, and then it's like, oh, finally, we've got someone in place. And then granddad decides, oh, nope, two nope. strikes. You're yeah, out. Really, one strike, and, and you are out. So uh, that's it's that's the real world. That's the real that's how things go. Right. The roller coaster. We're back on track now. She's She came back yesterday. He allowed her back in. Oh, good. <laughs> they had a conversation about her schedule. And all of a sudden, he's happy again. But in the meantime, in a two-day's time frame, we each probably, everyone in the family probably got three to four phone calls. <laughs> and, you know, the roller coaster of being a caregiver. And I felt it. You know, we were relieved. And then it was just, oh, no, please do not fire her on your own time. We don't. Do you know how ta- long it took to get her in place? Yes. Like, don't do it um he's much happier he's happy now and she's coming back and we're we're down on the roller coaster again good (laughs) for now for For now now. yes well uh that's thank you so much for uh, both of you for sharing your stories Uh, i think this is incredibly helpful for those who are going through similar situations and i'm sure a, a lot of people can relate to what you ladies have been through. I want to thank our guests on the show this week, Betsy Barton with Transitions Life Care. She is the hospice and palliative care educator. If you missed any part of that interview and want to go back and listen, just head over to WPTF.com, click on the podcast button, find the Aging Matters section, and there you can listen to this episode as well as all of our past episodes as well. If you want to get uh, uh, go back and listen to the best of Peanut Gate, you can go back a few episodes <laughs> and listen to Mary talk about that. Well, we are out of time for today. We hope you will join us again next weekend. You have been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.